we have just kicked off a series called Now What? And so last week, uh, JJ spoke on the first week of the series about thinking inside the box and how what that really means for us as believers is that it's important for us to be connected with the church family, growing in and with a church family. Because if we're not doing that, then we're not, we can only grow so much. It's like the comparison between a strong oak and a bonsai tree. The bonsai looks pretty cool, and it's a really nice desk knickknack, but it doesn't actually help a person grow to where they can provide uh, like ways to help out other people. Like an oak gives shade. An oak you can have a swing on. They can have picnics under. It's so much fun. So the imagery there is just showing how when we're plugged into the church, and, and we're inside the box of the church, we, are, we can grow. And so that's why life groups is such an amazing value here, is that... We love seeing each other on Sunday mornings and, and be, seeing each other in rows is wonderful, but that's only the beginning of fellowship. Um, and so being, you can't be fully loved until you're fully known. And so being in life groups is a way that that can grow. The way that can, you can uh, just bump arms with other believers, dive into the word with each other, and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and other people to where we can all grow. Because we're better together. So um, today I am talking about thinking outside the box. So JJ did inside the box. I'm doing outside the box. Next week we'll do Jack in the Box. Um, that was lame, uh, but hope, I'll get you guys to laugh eventually. But that's okay. Uh, and so we're talking about thinking outside the box this week. And so uh, JJ kicked it off last week with this: was that um, in? Let me check the scripture. I make sure I have it right. In Matthew 16, uh, there is a promise that is presented to each and every one of us. Okay, so starting in verse 13. If you want to open up your Bibles there, you can uh, dive into Matthew 16 with me, starting in verse 13. And so it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some just say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So the promise that's presented here in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus built his church. Hallelujah. That's great. Jesus builds his church. But also we can, we can look at this passage of scripture to see that it also paints something else into this promise, that Jesus builds his church through people who are responsible with the keys of the kingdom. And so Jesus is going to build his church through us. This promise is initially said to Peter. And I think sometimes we're very good at like quickly flying through passages. Like, uh, and so I just want to take a second and like put us all in the frame of this story. So actually imagine you're one of the disciples walking with Jesus. You're, you could be talking about a lot of things. You could be talking about the, the, the miracles he did yesterday. You could just, there's so much that's going on. And you're just walking down the road with him, going into Caesarea Philippi. And then Jesus pops the question, who do people say that I am? And they're like, oh, everyone's saying, you're this. You're a prophet. You're Jeremiah. You're Elijah. You're one of them prophets that's in the Old Testament. You know, it's, you're one of them. Uh, we, we know that you're important. You know, that's what, that's what everyone's saying is you're important. 
And then he switches it and then goes, well, who do you say that I am? It becomes a real personal question to them. Like it's, it's no longer, well, I can just now rely on the reviews and perspectives and what other people have said. Now it's what I've said. And so then we have Peter who just, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He's the only one that answered. I think there was like 12 of them, and he's the only one that answered. And so what's so cool about this is that in this promise initially said to Peter, that what we see about Peter that's so special is that Peter had a personal revelation and conviction about who Jesus was. And it's not just knowledge, you know. It was something that when the question came to him, he was like, I can answer this, and I believe this. And so he acted on it. So if we're going to handle the keys of the kingdom responsibly, I, I do believe it's going to start with coming to know Jesus personally. And then when this connection has started with him, it should lead to action. And so the question for us then, what is, what is the action that the belief should lead to? And what it is, is, is saying yes to growing as children of God in and with the church. God takes the lonely and places them in families. This is family. So, um, there's also another cool part to this, that Jesus is going to build his church through people who handle the keys responsibly, but also, if we stay healthy and grow personally, this church that we're all joined a part of, the spiritual family that we're in, is going to reflect Jesus to the outside world. And uh, it'll become a reflection of the people inside it. And so, as we pursue Christ and grow, our church will become more and more like Christ, and continue to reflect his maturity, his love, his compassion, his purity, his life in abundance, his hope. We're born to a living hope. Something, to just an imperishable, something that won't go away. As we continue to say yes and personally grow, we'll continue to grow as people in a family that will continue to reflect Jesus. So, that's inside the box. Today I want to talk about thinking outside the box. And so what am I talking about? I'm talking about this idea known as discipleship. And so last week we introduced you all to uh, our spiritual journey map. There's, if you haven't gotten one of these, okay, there's, we have a connections table in the lobby and you can find one over there or you can talk to any of the leaders and we'll find a way to get you one because this is a very important map, okay? So looking at it, you can see it has different, a different listing of all kinds of ways we can grow with God. And I know looking at it, it's very easy to jump into the mindset of this is a checklist. Okay? And this is not a checklist. This is a map. And so if you imagine you're in a mall, like, and have any of you ever been like the, the Houston mall or like an like ice rink and it's like huge and everything? Like they have a massive map in there. That way you don't get lost, one. But two, that way you can see other places you haven't been so you can experience more. And so on this this is a map just like that. That What you can do is you can kind of use it to scale where you're at in your spiritual growth. If there's things you haven't done or have done, we can start using those to gauge what steps we need to take next. And so on the last point of the map, it says make disciples. So it first starts off with knowing God, living free, and then making disciples. Okay, and so that's what I'm emphasizing today is the making disciples part. And so... To make disciples, like just clearly for all of us to catch, is that in order to make disciples, 
The whole point we're after is to help people know God, live free, and also make disciples. And so this map that's being presented here is linear. You know, as we take steps, we'll grow up. But it's also circular, that we're going to keep passing the same things over and over again. And but then as it's circular, it becomes like a vortex. And so we pass it very smallly. And as we continue to pass, we continue to go more and more out, continuing to grow and be more transformed by the things that we're covering. And so I hope that's, I hope that's making sense. If it's not, I'll try my best to explain it again. Um, but uh, this is why life group is such a core value here. And whether you're leading one or attending one, and even more, let me, let me also say this too, because it's not just life groups. There's also something as one-to-one discipleship, where you take the journey just accompanying one person. Uh, whether you're going through that or you're leading someone through it, it's so powerful, and God used that to bring so much growth to us as we continue to go through uh, just the, the resources listed on the uh, map. And so God brings so much growth through the fellowship and the sharpening one of one another, and it's so powerful. So an important foundation that we have to have for discipleship is that discipleship starts with reaching the lost. Like that is the beginning of discipleship. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and then the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so again, another point where we put ourselves in the story. Imagine you're one of the disciples. Okay? And so Jesus has just told you, go into all the nations of the world and make disciples. Let's think about Peter. Peter did not think, okay, I need to make a disciple. So I'm going to meet with John, who is already a disciple. Peter's thought process was, okay, so all the disciples are here. If we have to make more, that means we have to find people who aren't and transform them into. And so for making disciples, that means the frame of mind that is so important for us to catch is it totally makes sense to expect that discipleship starts with people who know nothing about God. And so... Contrary to how the American church is presented uh, on social media and other platforms, uh, there's some staggering statistics about how churches in America are doing. Most of the time we think of them as these huge megachurches, uh, and we think of the big conferences they have. Uh, but the statistics listed are so much farther than what's being presented. And so first stat is that more than two-thirds of American churches have less than 100 members. More than two-thirds. That's, whew, that's crazy. Uh, in fact, 90% of all churches in the, USA, in the USA have less than 350 members. Another thought is that just more than 50% of American churchgoers attend churches in the last 10% bracket. So that means more than half of American church attenders attend churches in churches that are bigger than 350 people. So with all that being said... Only 7% of all American churches are growing because of conversion from non-believing to believing Christians. The rest of all growth is reported from reshuffles. That means other people who were part of a body and then just leaving and then coming join a different one. Just uprooting themselves. And so, from the statistic, we could... 
make a good generalization that 93% of churches are most likely to grow just because people left their own home church and went to another. And so I'm not against, and we're not against uh, reshuffles. If you're coming from another place and looking for a spiritual family, please, we'd love for you to join us. We're trusting God for people to come. But the point here that's so important for us to catch is that we can't be content with reshuffles as a way to grow. We're just fishing in other people's ponds, if that's it. That means the lost are never actually getting reached. No, only 7% of the American body is actively reaching the lost. <laughs> you know, that, that breaks my heart, man. And so that's why last week's message of thinking inside the box and being committed in spiritual family was so important. But it also adds this other reason is that um, we have to, well, let me make sure I'm not wording this wrong, that it's important for us to start taking steps to trust God for growth by conversion and transformation. To trust God that there will be people who are here in Crowley and Midland and Rain and all the neighboring cities or wherever, wherever you go out after this building that you will encounter and that they will experience the love of Jesus and know the story and have the opportunity to put their faith and trust in him. So that way discipleship can start. And so... What I'm emphasizing for this is that I, our mindsets kind of have to shift from discipleship being that we're making Christians better Christians. That it's taking the lost, transforming them into sons and daughters of God, helping them to live free, and then helping them to also make disciples. And so I think that in this mindset shift of this, we can start a discipleship revival. And so in order for us to do this, let's talk about what discipleship is. Discipleship is a call to three types of purposeful relationships. It's a call to follow Jesus, first and foremost. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. The same story goes for James, John, Simon, Andrew. Their whole story was that they were doing life. And Jesus came and said, follow me. And so we like to say that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with radical purpose. And so the relationship has everything to do with the connection. Getting to know God. He is knowable. And sufficiently. We can know him enough. Now there's always going to be more to continue to experience about God. That's because he's infinite. You know? I don't think you get to the end of infinite. Uh, but we can know God. And so there's the relationship part. Then also the radical purpose part comes back to helping people live free. And we can't take people places we haven't gone, so we have to also start submitting ourselves to the process of living free. What does it look like to live free? What does it look like to follow Jesus? And so so important about this is that Jesus saves us, and that's how the relationship starts. We put our faith in him. And in that, we are saved to follow Jesus, not saved to live life as we please. And so we must decrease and he must progressively increase in our lives for this is the calling of following him and that he is Lord. Um, I have some friends that when we get into some trouble, uh, I say in trouble, like when like a stressful situation arises, 
one of the first things that come out of their mouths will be like, oh, Lord, you know? Um, and so I think when it says that Jesus is Lord, it's not the same terminology here. It's not just like, oh, Lord, I'm in a stressful situation. I have to release some kind of term to express my stress. Lord is master. And um, I think sometimes we don't like that, but Jesus being Lord is such a wonderful and beautiful honor and privilege, actually. Um, I can't remember who said this, and I didn't even have this planned, but someone said way back in history somewhere, you know, that's how quotes work, um, but um, <laughs> that when, when Jesus saves a man, he bids him come and die. Um, and that's something I think that's an important wrestle in following Jesus. Uh, is that sometimes our feelings will tell us we shouldn't. Like our feelings are very good at presenting these valid arguments on why I shouldn't obey the word. Or I, I shouldn't read my Bible today. You know, I have other things to do. Or what, whatever the instance may be, our feelings present these on-the-surface logical arguments on why we should not make time for saying yes to Jesus. But then the question comes back to, is our feelings Lord? Is our logic Lord? Or is Jesus Lord? So, it's first the call to follow Jesus. The second call is it's a call to fellowship with other believers. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We cannot be fully loved until we're fully known. We can't be fully loved until we're fully known. And so there's a beautiful power in life groups, in discipleship, in saying yes to intentional growth with and through the body of Christ. And so with that also being said, saying yes to community and fellowship, this is also saying yes to serving Jesus with times, treasures, and talents. You have gifts. God did that on purpose. For a purpose. And those, those gifts are literally can be something that Jesus uses to bring life to other people. And it can happen here through dream teams, or it can happen through diving into what the Word says about those gifts, how do we walk in those daily and use them to reach people. So, the first two calls are to follow Jesus into fellowship with other believers. But to really understand the heart of discipleship, we have to dive into the third call, which is a, it's a call to fish for people. Matthew 9, 11 through 13 says, And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And so go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. A Com common thing we kind of fall into is when we think of this idea of discipleship, it's very easy to keep discipleship inside the box. That it only happens in these four walls. And so it's easy to transition to the, ma the pastor needs to do a class on spiritual growth, or elders need to do a course on marriage, or women's pastor needs to do women's events, teach us how to do womanhood, or the youth directors need to teach kids manners, or, you know, there's so many different things that we can think of. I was hoping for a bigger laugh. Sorry, guys. I'll try better. I'm going to get you guys, okay? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Um, so <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so glad we can have fun. Uh, but all these things are great, 
And we're going to continue to do them because they're great. They're awesome. They will continue to happen from time to time, but they're not discipleship's be-all and end-all. It's, it's, it's not hard to believe that only 7% of churches are growing through the loss being brought in if the rest of the churches are only staying inside the walls. And so, um, sometimes, not sometimes, but when, we, when we've been presented this idea of discipleship, there's been kind of this perspective that's crept in that we have to take care of our own needs and our own desires, and, which is a very good thing. That's part of health, you know? Uh, it's being smart and being wise and making sure you're intentionally growing. But we cannot overvalue inside over outside. They're equals. And so if I'm going to fight for inside, I've also got to fight for outside. Um, and so uh, discipleship is not about becoming a better Christian. It's about reaching the lost, establishing them in their faith, and then teaching them and showing them how to become fishers of men who make more Christians. Discipleship starts outside the box. And so you guys ready? You guys ready to reach the lost? Hopefully. All right, let's pray. I'm joking. Okay. Gosh, man, tough crowd. Tough crowd, dude. You guys are so tough. need y'all strength. Okay. Um, we can't really reach the lost. We don't actually know how to do that. Um, and so I think before we can ever start reaching the lost, it's going to start with some, some belief and mindset shifts. Okay, so the first one is that every person is valuable to God. Every person, each and every one of you are valuable to God. And if there's a lie in your mind that's saying, well, I'm not worth it, that's that, like I said, it's a lie. You are valuable to God. The people outside this room are valuable to God. Every person on earth is valuable to God. The word says it's, it, that uh, God, God's heart is that none should perish that all would reach repentance, all would come to look at him and see. And so God's heart is that everyone is valuable to him. And so what kind of happens for us is that like, we see that like, they're all valuable to God, but sometimes they're not all valuable to us, you know? Uh, and that's, that's important for us, is that back to the Lordship thing and saying yes to what Jesus is saying, is that if I'm following Jesus, it's going to come to a point where I'm going to have to Allow my mindset to be challenged. And so in order for this to be accomplished, is we have to start thinking thoughts like we can't just love people. Um, no, we can't ignore the people around us who don't believe in God. We, we can't think. We, we, oh, I hope this sounds nicer than what I'm about to say it. Uh, but uh, like, we, we can't think I'm going to do me and you do you. Like it's actually... It, it, if I'm following Jesus, my, I'm, I'm following Jesus, and then I'm wondering, is everyone around me on the same path? And if they're not, what am I going to do about it? Um, no more loving people without acknowledging the fact that they will go to hell if someone doesn't share the gospel with them. On this side of eternity, no more loving people without acknowledging the fact that if they don't get the opportunity to say yes to Jesus and make him the Lord and Savior of their life, they won't experience the freedom the joy, the peace, the purpose that is found in Jesus. People are looking for answers. That's why some, they just honestly don't know where to go. That's why the term is lost. 
And so for us, we've got to catch this, is that every person is valuable to God. How can we reach them? It's a powerful question. And I think, I think about this question is that I don't think it's a new concept, you know? I feel like everyone, when we, when we come into Christianity, we're like aware that we should reach the lost. But what, what ends up happening is that uh, we don't end up doing it because of, again, feelings and logical arguments that come into our minds. And so sometimes we just get worried about rejection. Like the thought goes to my mind, what if, I, what if I share this with them and they reject it? What if I share this with them and they're not ready? What if I share this with them and like it somehow makes things worse? These, these what-if hypotheticals are just things that the enemy uses to keep us at bay. I hate hypotheticals, man. <laughs> they are horrible. They just, they just bring worry and strife. But on the opposite end of what hypotheticals, what if they say yes? What if they actually commit wholeheartedly? What if they join us? That's the other end of that, and I think it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. And so Matthew 9, 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The question for us is, when we see people that don't know Jesus, do we have compassion for them? point I just thought of is like the disciples were following Jesus and at multiple times in the scriptures they were highly annoyed with the crowds. <laughs> and Jesus' response to them was always great compassion, great love. And so that's a point for us is are we looking forward to this? Verse 37 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so this brings us to our next mindset shift is that every disciple should make disciples. We can't hide behind excuses like I'm not a preacher or I can't pray out loud. That's not my wheelhouse. It's not my gift set, you know. Like my gift set is like I like leading or I like reading the Bible or I like sitting on the couch, you know. Like that's our <laughs> gift sets. That's the ones we like, you know. That's a good gift. Uh, hallelujah. Blessed and highly favored, you know, type deal. But... Uh, <laughs> We can't hide behind those things. When Jesus sent out the, the Matthew 28 commission, it was given to fishermen and tax collectors who, quest, who questioned and doubted and even denied Jesus. They seemed so qualified. <laughs> they were like apparently the best of the best. Now, this couldn't be farther from the truth. They were just like us. They were just like us. Just proving how... It's totally attainable for each and every one of us to start walking in this purpose. And so qualification, training, all that is not required for reaching the lost. What is, is love for people around us to start spiritual conversations. I think also a side point I want to add here is that sometimes I think we also put too much pressure on ourselves to get people saved, baptized, and filled with the Holy Spirit in about five minutes when we reach the lost. That we literally just think, I've got to check off everything on that spiritual map in my encounter with them in Walmart. Um, and it doesn't, that's not how it works, man. Like, that's how all the stories are presented. It's like, I was doing this and it wasn't even planned. But no, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. If, if discipleship is relationship 
and evangelism or reaching the lost is the beginning of discipleship. All reaching the lost is, is establishing a relationship that then leads to the story of Jesus Christ. So, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body. We are the saints. We're the normal believers. It's us. It's us. Claim that with joy, that it's us. Hallelujah, that it's us. Because now we get to walk with an absolute purpose to change the world. To change the world. That that 7% will not stay 7 it will not stay seven. I know sometimes we can be like super spiritual and love the number seven, but in that statistic, it is not good. <laughs> it is not good. That needs to change. And we can't control the rest of the American body, but we can look within ourselves. We can look within ourselves. So um, we've been called, each and every one of us, to go and make disciples. And so leading to point number three is that every disciple should make time to leave the 99 and in search of the one. To leave the inside and go outside. Luke 15 verse 4 says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Some people have kind of taken this as, I need to go and conform to the world, be in the world, look like the world, that way I can reach the world. And that's so much farther from the heart of discipleship. Why should they follow something that we would abandon? The heart of discipleship is to go outside the box and bring what we find, who we find, and help them come back into the box. God takes the lonely and puts them in families. Verse 5 and 6 of Luke 15 says, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. We can't wait to see like all these rows get filled, not because of attendance, but because of lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that relationships were made and God used them to change people's lives. Just loving people. And making sure they know the love is because of Jesus. <laughs> the question then goes for us, what do we need to do to make disciples? How do we do it? Because we need to grow inside out and outside in. Saying yes to personal growth. We can't take people to where we're not going. We can use the spiritual map as a guide, but... If you haven't been to a place and someone asks you about a location, you can only give them the reviews and the things you know about it, not the actual, this is what it's like. This is what it's like. This is what it's like to live fully free. No pressure of striving, just full joy, righteousness, peace, and the Holy Spirit walking in the kingdom of God. Another thing is going to require us to learn how to explain the gospel to people lovingly and accurately. To not get mad at them when they say something contrary to the gospel. Um, 
Another thing is we're going to have to intercede for people regularly that the Holy Spirit will speak to them. The Holy Spirit changes hearts. I think it's, I think it's Ezekiel that it talks about when God, God was talking to the Israelites saying like, I'm taking out your heart of stone and I'm putting in a heart of flesh. And so the Holy Spirit does that. And so what we're praying and trusting God for is that people will encounter the Holy Spirit through conversations, through relationships, but also through the miraculous. Think about Saul. No one, no one was doing that for him. Jesus met him right where he was at, knocked him off his horse, radically transformed him. God, praying for people and trusting God for their encounter with them is so powerful. I wish I had more time because I'd tell you more stories because I've got stories about people that like, I tried to reach out to them and they just kept blowing me off. But I started praying for them and then I got calls a couple months later about how their lives, they're now following Jesus and I wasn't even involved. All I did was pray. <laughs> All I did was pray. Next part is reach out. We got to be salty. That does not be like offending salty. Like that means like have a strategy for how we're going to start conversations. And so salt, <laughs> S, <laughs> start conversations about faith and don't get angry. Uh, that's a big one. Don't get angry. Don't get angry. Ask them questions about their life and their opinions. Get to know them. It's a relationship. Number three, listening to their reasoning. If we won't listen to them, why should they listen to us? Um, and then lastly is tell them our story, but then the story. The story of the good news. There was a man named Jesus Christ who is the Son of God. Who came, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserved. And if we put our faith in Him today, we find eternal life, purpose, family, and much more. And lastly, as we embrace the process of walking with people through their doubts. Discipleship is relationship and it takes time. It takes time for people to get to the place of knowing God. We've got to be patient and faithful and persistent at the same time. And so I, this is what comes back to all people are valuable to God. Because it's easy to think when we're, when we're discipling people that all I'm trying to do is get growth out of them. But it's because of the love of God and loving them and trusting God for their encounter that growth comes. So here's the question is, who can we start praying for today? Who are people that we know that are in our lives that we know they haven't said yes to Jesus yet? They may not even know yet. Wherever they're at in their journey with God, let's be responsible and let's say yes and declaring something different that they were heading for destruction, but now they're heading for life for them. So um, right now, uh, what I just want to do is invite all of you to stand real quick. So this is great. But now here's the part where we got to claim it. We got to pick this up. 
It's God's heart, so it's, it's God's heart and it's God's mission, so it has to become ours. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we love you. Lord Jesus, we just open up our hearts, Lord, for you to put just a love for people in us. A love for people, Lord. I want to ask each and every one of you here, if you have not made a decision today, or yet in your life, I would like to invite you to make that decision today. Gabby's been talking about this relationship that we have with Jesus. And so if you can just keep your eyes closed right now and just ask yourself this question, if I really put my trust in Jesus for my own salvation, before we pray for other people, I want us to have an opportunity here to, to bow our own knees to Jesus. And so if you feel God is moving in your heart, you've, you've come to understand, like, I, I mean, I need to put my hand in Jesus' hand first before I even try to help somebody else put their hand in His. And if you're at that place right now where you're ready to put your hand in Jesus Christ for your own salvation, why don't you just raise your hand right here today? I feel God wants to move on your hearts. I feel God wants to take knowledge of that your acknowledge your acknowledging that will help him to walk with you the next journey i see those hands if there's anybody else here today that would like to just say yes to jesus i see your hand in the back you can put it down right now we're going to pray together anybody else would like to put their hands in jesus's hand and say lord i'm accepting you as my savior today i want to walk with you i believe in you i believe that you died on the cross for my sin if that's you and you haven't put up your hand yet, you want to put up your hand right now, just go ahead and do it right now where you are at. And Jesus will meet you where you're at, and He'll invite you into His, His family. You'll become one of His. Family, let's pray together with the people who put their hands up. Can you join me all in a prayer? I want, to, I want us to do a prayer with these people that put their hands up. I want to make a confession of faith today. So just join me as we pray out loud together. Could you? Would you help us? Let's all, let's all pray to God the Father. Say, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Thank you for today. Thank you for leading my heart to you. Thank you for finding me in my sin that I couldn't deal with myself. That I acknowledge that I have and have separated me from you. So today I ask, Lord, that you forgive me of my sin and that you cleanse me of my unrighteousness. I know I can't do this for myself, Jesus. I need you. So come into my heart, Jesus. Come and save my life. Come and make my spirit man alive again. Because I put my trust in you. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you're the Son of God and that you died on the cross for my sin and that through your blood, I can become righteous. You will accept me as your child. So today I believe that I have become born again as a child of God. And I walk out of this place no longer a sinner, but a child of God. Saved by your grace. I believe in you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that you are now my Father. And Holy Spirit, I welcome you in my life to lead me in the Lordship of Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.